morning. For those of you who don't know us, I'm Sarah Walmsley. This is my daughter, Jane, and we're going to do a reading for you this morning. God's joy is manufactured in our lives. Joy is written on the dish soap bottle under the sink. Joy is in the bottle we keep at the back mm. of the cupboard. Joy isn't real, God, is it? Not real joy. We gave up on real joy a long time ago. We'll settle for content. We'll settle for no pain. No unhappiness. No depression. We might, not, we might even manage happy now and then. But joy? Not here. Not really. Not anymore. Yet when joy moves in, joy becomes. Joy shines. Like opening a window and smelling the breeze in a stale room. Joy breathes. Open our hearts to it, God. Let us shake off the layers of dust and doubt. And depression. Let there be light. As joy surrounds. Enters. Lifts. When we made for joy, God, and not just us, but. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. May we see the joy in the hearts of his people. May we see the joy in the eyes of our children. May we have the joy that can only come from God. Let us find joy in more than the decorations. Let us find joy in more than the presents. Let us find joy in more than the lights. Let our joy be real. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Let the trees of the forest shout with joy. For the Lord has come to earth. Let the earth be filled with joy. Let the constellations rejoice. For the Lord comes to the earth. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Our hearts resound with the joy of Christ. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham. I'm really glad that you're here. For those of you who do know me, know me uh, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, last week, I didn't get to be here. And boy, there's, there's something about missing a week. Now, you probably don't feel the same way about it as I do, but when I miss a week here, I feel like I miss you. It's just not the same. And last week, I was at um, ESCOM, Scarborough Community Alliance Church in uh, Scarborough, one of our partner churches, one of the churches who said they want to be on board with us. And my job there was to try and tell them, to try and tell this story about what God has been doing in our lives, how he has been providing for us, what it looks like to be part of Into One, to try and share that story with one of the churches who said, we're on, on board with you. We're, we're part of the team. It was a fantastic time. So we, they were so glad to hear what's going on. They've been following the story. They follow our email. They follow the, the Facebook kind of pages of the updates that are going on, and they're encouraged, and they're excited. And as they continue to support us financially, it's also great for them to see what's happening what's going on there. And so they were really happy to have some of those stories to come out. So there are good things that were there. But yeah, I missed you. It was, uh, it's, it's always just a little bit different. So I wanted to, uh, to re- tell you where I was and what was going on, but I also want to remind you that I would really, really love it if some of you would say maybe uh, once a month or every week or whatever your rotation could be, to come to be here at 9.30, come pray with me before the service. I would love it. As, as more and more happens here and there's more and more uh, interaction that we have with our community, with the city, all that sort of stuff, there are, there are increasing needs that we have to make sure that we build our spiritual base and not just a physical base. So it'll be good for you. It will be good for me. It will be good for us together. If you could do that, that would be fantastic. 9.30, we'll meet downstairs in the room that's up in that corner up there. Um, so, Right. Let's pray. Kind Father, I thank you for your, your ongoing grace, your continued commitment 
and participation in our worlds, the way that we go through life. We're glad that you're with us. So God, I ask that you would uh, speak to me today, that you would again speak through me. And God, I ask for my friends that are gathered here today, that beyond me, that you would speak to them, that you might also speak through them. Help us to see as you see, so that we might be able to easily, willingly, with understanding, do as you say. Help me to see as you see, so that I can do as you say. It is my goal to listen to your spirit. Today, that is my commitment. And again, and I pray this for my friends that are gathered here as well. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, we're uh, in part four. Part four of our series, which is called Right in the Eye. I'm just going to pretend the children aren't actually there. <laughs> I love to hear their noise, but sometimes, sometimes, I don't want you to get distracted, right? It's all about you. Um, and I know this is a little bit challenging because last night was Saturday, so that makes this day Sunday, and so sometimes we're a little bit groggy in the morning, and maybe your coffee wasn't ready for you. And I'm telling you this because I want to start with a question that's kind of hard, and it's going to make your mind work. Um, so we're in the part four of the series, Right in the Eye, which means there's been three before. So if this is your first time and you haven't heard any part of this yet, uh, or if you've missed any part of it, you can always catch up online on the podcast and find out where we are and, and how we're traveling together. Because the goal is not just that we come and, and hear. The goal is that we are on this road trip together in earnest pursuit of Jesus. And knowing what we're talking about brings us together. It connects us in that way. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, but as we get started, um, you don't have to worry that this is part four and, and that you're going to fail the test. Okay, because the, the test is not today, don't worry, but the test does start tomorrow, all right? The test is tomorrow because the test is always the everyday. It's how will we take any of this stuff and make it apply to every day, to, to today, to the, to the days that I'm in. How will it apply? How will I be able to connect in that way? And so there is a test. The test is ongoing. It's not really a pass-fail kind of thing. It's, a, it's a, what level of success will you be able to get to? So this question, um, don't walk away from it, okay? It'll be easy to just to say, wow, that's a question. That must be a rhetorical device. Don't bother to answer. That's not the way it is. Think about this because this question has the power to really um, change and focus the way you live. So engage it and we'll engage together as we go forward from this. And here's the question. What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? What do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? And, and for most of you, you know this question, don't you? You might not have phrased it like this, but you know this question. Because you have that, ah, that moment in your life. There was that chapter that you've come through. There was that, that March break or that reading week in your life. Ah, nervous laughter. Um, there was that business trip. There was that, that foggy season in your life that you don't really like to go back over and ponder. There's all the stuff that you don't really want to tell other people about. It's all those stories that you're not going to call the grandkids around and tell them about when you have a chance. You already know 
what happens when you do what your body wants and your heart knows is wrong. We're adults. We all know where this goes. And some of you are here today because your parents just did what their bodies wanted. This is a very, very important question. It shapes the way we live and it shapes long-term consequences. So the way you answer this question is determined by where your heart is. We talked about this idea last time. Um, whether you are living from the inside out or from the outside in. If you're allowing God to fill and, and change your heart and to direct your paths and to guide you forward. Or are you allowing simply what you see to guide the direction of your life? Your answer to this question has the potential to set the direction of your entire life. It's powerful. It's thought-provoking. It's discomfort-raising, frankly. Your answer shapes where you're going to go. So what will you do? Do you have a plan in place? What will you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? And in this series, we've been studying, we've been looking at the book of... Okay, that was, I was good, but I'm related to that one. So we've been studying the book of... Yeah, because I know you're all paying attention. That's good. And this book is famous for stories. Lots of good stories, famous stories that are in there. But I think it's probably even more famous as the book that's not read from beginning to end. That's just sort of the way this book works. And this book spans uh, a time in history of ancient Israel. Right after they moved into the promised land, the holy land, they get there, Moses gets them out of Egypt, they get through the desert, Joshua takes them into the promised land, and it's before the first king, King Saul. I forgot, did I tell you that we have notes? Did I tell you that? Do you have our notes? We have the handout as you came in? Some of you got it? There's notes up here, you can also follow along on your web-enabled smartphone, use the free app called Uversion, and you can follow along in there as well, and you'll be... Uh, able to keep up with what's happening here. Um, King Saul. All right. So Joshua gets them into the land, and they start to clear it out a little bit, and he gets them set up, and he tells them, hey, behave yourselves while you're here. Remember all those commitments that you made to God as we were going into the Holy Land? Remember all those things? Keep those things. Those are really super important. And then he went home. Joshua died. And things didn't go well, all right? Things didn't go well for a while after that. For about 300 years after that, they didn't go well. And in that time, the people went through cycle after cycle after cycle of this pattern, disobedience, that leads to disaster. And as they get in that disaster, they begin to say, oh my goodness, things have gone wrong. They call out for God, help us, help us, please deliver us. And God, time after time, with his kindness, with his grace, with his mercy, says, yes, I will deliver you. But sadly, no matter how many times this happened, Israel didn't learn her lesson. She kept getting into the same spot and the same troubles. This story is our story. Let's be honest, right? This is the way we've done it. We've gotten ourselves into, you've gotten yourself into sticky situations more than a time or two. You've got in that kind of place where things have gone wrong and you've made bad choices. Don't make eye contact, look down. 
You know that you have these places in your life and that you are prone to them. This is the way we work. That's why this story is so helpful for us because it calls us from where we are. It exposes us so that we can see. We can say we're talking about Israel, but we can hear it for us and we can make changes. You did exactly what you were warned not to do. You just did it anyway. And the book of Judges ends with a dark and ominous story and an even more dark and kind of ominous phrase that's right at the end. And that phrase is the verse that we've sort of been hanging the notion of this whole series on. And the book ends with this line. I'm sure you know it well by now. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then during this 300-year period, what was supposed to happen was that God was their king. And that God had given the law, and the law would be administered through judges. And there are some okay judges in this period, but there are some pretty lousy judges in this story as well. And so the book of Judges chronicles about 12 of these stories, not all of them, but there's about 12. The two most famous stories in this book are the stories about a guy named Gideon and a guy named Samson. Ehud, also kind of a famous story if you were ever in senior high. Senior high is where this is a popular gross kind of story, and so they like to talk about it there. Uh, We're going to talk about Gideon next week. This week we're going to talk about Samson. And this is a good story for us because there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. Samson is special. And his story starts in that special Bible story kind of way. There was a woman who couldn't have children. And an angel of God came to her and said, guess what? You're expecting. And you should expect a bouncing baby boy. Just a heads up, your boy is going to be special. And when an angel comes to announce the birth of your child, you are fairly sure it's a special birth. Every baby's a special one. When an angel comes, it's special. When an angel comes because the mom's barren, even more special to the family. But the angel is there to say, this baby is special to God as well, in a special way. That this baby has done nothing to deserve God's favor, but God has just chosen to work with this child in partnership to do amazing things for Israel. And the angel said, the spirit of God is going to rest on your son in a unique way. So he needs to be raised in a special way. He needs to be raised under the Nazarite vows. Now, you need to hear this word. It's Nazirite, not Nazarite. Nazarite is someone who lives in Nazareth. And Nazirite is the way they identified this, these, uh, these vows. So if you were praying something, you really wanted to get God's attention, uh, you, you'd take the Nazarite vows, and you might take them for 30 days. If you really wanted to get God's attention because something's a little bit more intense that's going on, you need help, there's something, you're sick, there's, you might take these vows for 90 days. And if things were downright terrible, that everything had fallen through, and you're going, I'm losing my mind, you might take these vows for a full year. The vows are this. Don't have anything that comes from grapes. So no grape juice, no grape jelly, no wine. Some of you were done right there. You couldn't touch anything that was dead. And lastly, you couldn't cut your hair. Again, 
harder for some of you than for some of us. Um, so the difference that Samson, he didn't get to choose this vow. The, the, his parents told him, this is what we're doing. And so when, when, you, when he was a little boy, they'd say, hey, the reason that you look kind of different, the reason that you behave different is because you've been set aside. You've been set apart by God. He's told us to do this because he's going to do something special with you. You are signed up for this plan. So just remember, every time that you don't touch something dead and you don't drink something from um, grapes and you don't cut your hair, remember every time that God has chosen you and he's going to do special things through you. And it's important. And those are going to be some pretty special, pretty amazing things for you, but for your whole country as well. In the Old Testament, when we read it, it does this, the same sort of teaching technique as they're doing in this story. It happens quite frequently. They often have a story about a guy, but the story isn't really just about a guy. The story is about the nation. But they tell the story as if it's about the guy so that you can see it. So in this case, that guy is like a microcosm. What the nation is doing, that's what's happening in this story. And so that's what's happening with Samson as well. God chose Israel to do something great. God chose Samson to do something great. God wanted the nation of Israel to be um, a light to the rest of the world so that when God empowered them and he conquered their enemies, everyone would think that their God was so big and so powerful that you would never, ever want to mess with him because he must be the real deal. He must be the God, the God of even other gods. So when Samson became strong and powerful, the people around would say, wow, what's up with him? And then he's supposed to say, it's the spirit of God that rests on me. And then people would know that the Israelite God was the true God. The other way Samson reflected Israel in this story is that just like the nation of Israel, they kept taking their eyes off God. And they kept looking around at stuff beside them. And they got distracted by things. They go, that's shiny. I like that. That looks fun. I want to do that. I like what they're doing. Why can't we do some of that? Well, the same thing happened to Samson. He got distracted by what he saw all around him. And Israel got off the guardrails. And they decided, hey, we're just going to be like everybody else. And the reason we're going to do that is because I don't trust that God is working for my good. I think that he's actually holding good from me. In the same way Samson made this, these, the same, these same decisions. His problem was women. And he couldn't keep his eyes or his hands off Philistine women. So when he was young, it was obvious that he was stronger than everybody else. Now, I don't know about this. It doesn't say this clearly in there, but this is, this is the way I'm thinking about it, okay? If you see a super strong, big, muscly guy lift something heavy, you don't think, wow, I wonder how he did that. But if you see somebody a little bit smaller of frame, a regular average-looking person, and they lift something big and heavy, you think of it, you go, wow, that's either a miracle or a magic trick. It's something. So I'm thinking that Samson kind of looked more like a regular guy, more like a regular guy than, than somebody like Fabio or The Rock, just somebody who's kind of average. I think he was average, but he had the Spirit of God resting on him, and that Spirit of God gave him superhuman strength. 
so that he could do superhuman things. He was supposed to do superhuman things in partnership with God to the benefit of his people to shine and point the light always back to God as our Savior. That part didn't always happen. He was always supposed to point back. He didn't always do that. So in his first job, he's a border guard. And he is guarding the line between Israel and the Philistines. And because of his strength, he became a leader. And he has some sort of leadership skills because he's a judge of the people. And he's a judge over 20 years. Sometimes when you read a story, it seems kind of condensed. You don't get a timeline. Samson was a judge in Israel for more than 20 years. But his problem, he worked the border. He couldn't stay on his side of the border. So every once in a while, he creeps down from his side of the border onto their side of the border, and he goes to the border villages or some of the border towns. And he goes to them and he says, so what are you going to do about it? Right? I'm Samson. Bring what you got. And while down there, he's always hanging out in bars, you know, and he kept meeting these Philistine women, and he keeps getting himself into mischief, keeps putting himself in awkward situations. You should read this story. You really should. Starts in Judges chapter 13, and you can read through. It's a great story to go through and follow. We're going we're gonna to zoom through it a little bit faster. We're going to start in Judges chapter 14, all right? The very first thing that Samson did, he went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. He left his territory, he saw a girl, and he went back home. Now, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen outside in. I'm making my decisions based on what I've seen. That's driving my behavior. I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. That's an awkward conversation all by itself, but uh, his father and his mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? And so obviously he lived in southern Israel. Okay, that was a flat joke. That was supposed to be just a joke. Um, <laughs> the relatives of the people, he, he doesn't mean your sister. He means just from your tribe, from your, from your nation, from the people of Israel. That's what they would mean by the family here. It's not that other way that somebody shouldn't have made a joke about. Um, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And when they say uncircumcised Philistines, it's, it's, it's not like a dig. It's not disrespect that they're trying to put in there. The idea of circumcision was a symbol of the, the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. This was a way for them to remember that we belong to God in a unique way. And so this is a reminder for mom and dad to say, hey, Samson, you know your story. You know that you're an only child. And you know why you're an only child. You know what's been going on here. You know that God has said that he's going to do something special through you. You've already started to experience some of the difference that uh, the Spirit of God resting on you makes. So if you're going to choose a wife, you need to obey the law that came from God through Moses. Don't marry outside of your nation. It's important at this point to stop and to make sure we make it clear. This has nothing to do with interracial marriage. This was because God knew in that culture especially, when you marry somebody from another culture, they bring their gods with them. They had to. It was required. They would be shipped up and packed for you. 
And God knows that if you start marrying outside the nation, you're going to start marrying outside of your theology. And then you're going to dilute and pollute our theology, our belief in God. And that, that, that had already happened so many times. They're trying to really stop. That had been the problem in this area. So his parents are saying, hey, Samson, we, we really want you to get married. But if you marry her, we're just in for trouble. She will bring all our Philistine gods here. And how will that work with our laws? How will that work with your Nazarite vows? How will that work with you being a judge? How will that work with the Spirit of the Lord on you? And just a heads up, Samson, just in case you forgot, we're at war with the Philistines. Why would we be having a partnership like that? That's why you're a border guard. You're supposed to guard the border. Stay at the border, not cross the border. Samson, why are we even having this conversation at all? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. This is an interesting little Hebrew phrase for a couple of reasons. Number one, think about this. Go back in time to our series that we did in October, LSD, right? Very first week, we talked about the right person myth. Samson is fallen head over heels into the right person myth. Second, this phrase, the right one for me, that phrase basically parallels the phrase that we've seen a number of times throughout the book of Judges. And you know what that phrase is, right? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When Samson sees this woman, again, it's highlighted for all the readers. He's a microcosm of the nation. I see her. That's what I want. I'm living from the outside in. Go there, get her for me. And the whole story is just one big disaster or series of big disasters. So Samson sort of stamps his feet and he gets what he wants. He gets married and of course she wants to have the wedding in her church and on her side of the border. So Samson and his family, they all truck down to Timnah and they go in there and they're surrounded by Philistines. And Samson, man, he just can't help himself. He has to show off and he humiliates the Philistines. And they're not happy about that. So they're really mad and they kick him out and they kick his family out. But they take his wife and they hold her back. And to, to, to show how much they're upset, they say, we're marrying her off right away. So they marry her off to somebody else. And things go from bad to worse. So that at the end of this chapter, the end of this little part of the story of Samson, she's actually burned alive for her association to Samson and his family. It just didn't work out. See, that was another joke. And my, my jokes are just, they're, they're landing flat today. We use that phrase all the time. It just didn't work out. She got burned. All right. Then there's this other story, okay, where one night he slips over the border again, and he spends the night with another Philistine woman. And this is just a pattern of his life. This is just how he keeps going again and again. And the Philistines find out that he's there. And this time, they surround the entire town. And they're angry. They want to get rid of Samson. They want to finish him. 
So they surround the whole town because he's been there. He's caused incredible physical and economic hardships. Again, read the story and you're going to see more of what he did to cause problems. So they're there and they've surrounded the whole place and they've got their, their, um, their set for this. And, and Samson, he uses, does this incredible feat. And he uses the power that the Spirit of God has given him. And he uses it for his own interests. He uses it for his own purposes. And, and those purposes clearly run contrary to the interests and the purposes of God. It's just another bad thing that he really shouldn't have done. We tell the story in Sunday school like, wow, it's great. Look what he did. But the truth is he just never should have done it. He just keeps having women problems wherever he goes. Maybe... Maybe he just shouldn't have gone to those places. And for us, looking at the story, we can say, yeah, that seems to make sense. Maybe you just shouldn't have gone there. But, but it doesn't make sense to him. And so he just keeps doing. He continues to do what's right in his own eyes. He disregards the fact that God, him, God had called him to do something unique for his people. And then as we go, the story slows down as he finally meets his most um, famous partner, Delilah. Now, you might have heard all of this story before, or you've heard parts of it before, um, so it might be familiar to you to some degree, but you probably also heard it in a very churched-up kind of toned-down kind of way. But when you hear this story for the first time, you, you, you just think to yourself, honestly, let me just say it aloud, um, how could anything like that ever really happen? Nobody's that stupid. Is it possible that a man could become so sexually inflamed that he would make one stupid decision after another regarding one woman? And men, the answer to that question is yes. Yes, yes it is. It's possible for a man to get so enamored with one physical body that he just keeps doing stupid things. And I'm sorry, man, I'm going to apologize to you up front. This, today's going to be a bit of a rough one for you. Sorry about that. But this is a story about male stupidity on miracle Grow. Like, it is so far beyond what seems to be good decisions. And you're going to read this story and you're going to think, man, that just can't be true. But the longer I live and the more stories I hear, the more people I meet, honestly, this story might even be average. There's some pretty horrible stories that are floating around of what's going on in people's lives. And when the appetites get stirred up, the sexual appetites, the, the, the loneliness appetites, the security appetites, when they get stirred up, well, what do we do? We do what's right in our own eyes. And we wonder, why do I just end up like everybody else? So sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So again, he's going where he shouldn't go, looking at things that he shouldn't look at. And this time he's in love, though. This one's different. Sure, I've made some mistakes in the past, but this time it's real. This time I'm, I'm serious. And Hey, you know what? I'm so sorry about burning all your fields down and destroying all your crops, that whole thing. But this time, understand, I'm in love. It's, it's changed me. I'm in love and I have to be there. Well, once again, she's a Philistine woman. And, and remember, they're all working to try and get rid of Samson. So the ruling guys, they come to Delilah. And there's probably about five of these guys. And they say to her, hey, see if you can 
lure him. And that's a good word. I like words like that. That's a picture word. We know what it is. It, it, it becomes clear to us. What's a lure? A lure is something that looks like something that it's not. But it's got what in it? Hooks. Yeah. That's what's there. So see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. And maybe we can overpower him. Maybe you can help us find his kryptonite so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So if you do your quick calculations in your head, that's about $90,000, okay? It's a little bit hard to do inflation over 3,300 years, and there's no section under Google Translate that kind of does that for you. But it's funny the way the story is written, because the very next verse, the very next thing, it sounds like Delilah was just talking to these guys, and she just swings her head over and starts talking to Samson. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. You think, oh, she's a wily one. I didn't see that coming. And honestly, could it, could it have been that obvious? It's like she just took the words of the contract that she just signed with the leaders over here, and she just read the same words right back to Samson. That's what it feels like. But I don't think this was really um, over coffee that she asked him. I think it would have been in a more private moment. Um, and we read regularly of Samson's drinking to excess the fruits of the vine, that he was not supposed to have any of. He got drunk, lots. He got inflamed, lots. And I think this is more likely to have been in the middle. Um, and you know, and the, the, they're both so into it. And, and the way that it's written, it's, it's almost like it's playful language. But the, the way you hear it, you can go, wait, 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 wait. How could this be so obvious? How would that ever happen? But I think it's sort of that, you know, teasing each other back and forth. You tell me. No, you tell me. And they have that kind of a banter that's kind of going back. So Samson answered her, okay, if anyone ties me with uh, seven fresh bowstrings that have never been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. I have the potential, even though the Spirit of God rests on me and has rested on me for years, I have the potential, even though my birth was predicted by an angel, I have the potential to be like every other man. Samson, why would you ever even want to mess with that? Why would you even want to dip into that world? Why would you ever want to play around with that average thing, that everybody else thing? And then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. And she tied him with them. So he's drunk. He's passed out again, fully spent. She pulls these bowstrings out from underneath her pillow, ties them up. And there's men hidden in the room. And she calls out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. And so the secret of his great strength was not discovered. Now, this is the part in the story where the author you're expecting, the narrator character comes in. And the narrator says, so Samson realized the folly of his ways. She's not right for me. I will no longer go and do anything like this ever again. I will go back to Israel and I will never cross the border again. I, 
I've learned my lesson. But is that what he did? No way. No. Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied. Seriously, Samson, you just embarrassed me in front of all those men that for some reason were already in our room. Why are you being so mean to me? It's not even subtle deception. So Samson says, well, all right, all right. It's not bowstrings. It's new rope. You've got to get yourself some new rope. Well, what do you know? Delilah suddenly gets herself some brand new rope, and he gets drunk again. He passes out again, and she ties him up. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming. Huh? What? And he jumps up again. Boom, boom, pops the ropes and chases the Philistines off. Well, Delilah's all hurt now, and I can, I can just imagine that she's got a pout on and everything. And Delilah says to Samson again, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Now tell me, how can you be tied? So he goes on again, and he describes this way that his hair has to be braided into a loom or a sewing machine or something. And so he's getting closer to telling her what the truth is. And all that, if you do all this to me, I will become like every other man. So what do you know? She goes ahead and gets this little uh, new piece of decor for her bedroom and goes and does exactly everything that he's just told her. And then he falls asleep again. And she ties his hair up. And this is where, again, you stop and you go, this can't be real. No man is that stupid. But don't look around. Because there's someone, there's someone that you know that's going, hmm, have you, have you heard my story? You know someone who has a story that's kind of like this. And so he busts out again, and he does some flex poses this time, maybe a little growling, and he chases all the bad dudes away. And then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Now, this next part is in the Bible, okay? So you don't need to be offended. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. So, so when the drunkenness wouldn't work, when the sex wouldn't work, the nagging is what brought down this super strong man. And ladies, you should know this. You have such incredible power. Some of you take that power and you're leveraging it in all the wrong ways. And whether you're here today or whether you're listening on this podcast, the truth is that it's going to lead to something that you are going to regret deeply. And I'm so sorry that that's the way it goes. I'm so sorry that you're going to pay for that one day, but that's just the way it is because we know this. We know beauty fades. But you know what God wants? He wants you to live from the inside out, which means all of that wonderful, beautiful outside beauty combines with a beautiful heart, a beautiful personality, and and. and creates this life that comes from the inside out and, and you glow and it sets you apart and it makes you special and it sets you up for success and it is so compelling to be around. 
God has given you such profound power with your words and with your bodies and your sexuality. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to be used for great things. And it can be used for great things. Please, please don't set yourself up for pain later on. So Delilah, she combines her body and her nagging, and finally he's, okay, okay, whatever. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's room. And at that point, he should have just hurt himself. If that's true, then what am I doing here? How stupid have I been? I'm on the wrong side of the border. I'm with the wrong people. And I keep waking up and it just so happens that what I just said to this girl, Delilah, just seems to have happened to me. Come on, Samson. I'm a miracle baby. I shouldn't even be on this earth. An angel predicted my birth. This is incredible. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And I'll just be like everybody else. So, they have another passionate night. He's drunk again. Passes out. And she gets out a razor. And she starts dreaming about what she's going to do with her money. And she had no idea that 3,300 years later, we would still be talking bad about her. She cuts his hair. And the author of Judges says that when he woke up to that alarm clock that had become Delilah, the Philistines, the Philistines, Samson, he jumped up and he didn't know that anything had changed. In his head, it's still, whatever, Philistines, what are they going to learn? And the Spirit of God left him. And then the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes. And maybe, this is not written there, but maybe the last thing he saw was Delilah. And maybe the last thing he thought with the last sight that he had was, how did I not see this coming? And maybe he realized in that moment, in my expression of my freedom, in the abuse of the gift that God gave me, I have become a prisoner of the very people whose lifestyle I tried to emulate. And they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, just in case. They set him to grinding grain in the prison, and he died in shackles, a prisoner. And that was the end of his opportunity to be everything that God had called Samson to be. Now here's why I'm telling you this story. You have no idea what God wants to do in your life. You have no idea what God wants to do through you. You have no idea what God wants to do through the next generation that comes from you. You have no idea what God would do if you were to say to God, God, I'm going to give you my whole heart. God, I will entrust to you my whole heart. I'm going to even trust you with the expressions of my sexuality. I'm going all the way with you, God, in faith and in trust. I believe in you. You have no idea what God would do in you and what God would do through you if you could entrust your heart 
and learn to live from the inside out instead of living from the outside in. You can think in your head, you know, well, that's fine for church. But as soon as I'm out of those doors, I'm right back to the life that I always lead. I'm right back to the same music I always listen to. I'm going to do the same things I always do. It's just going to be up to me to decide how I'm going to live and what I'm going to do. It's back to me having to decide what's right and wrong. It's back to me having to deal with this real world and not some airy, fairy, spiritual world that only exists in church or in the Bible. I have to deal with real things that come at me, real situations. The only thing I know how to do is to keep doing what's right in my own eyes. And 1,300 years after this, there's another Jewish man who's writing to a group of Gentiles and the Jewish people. And this was a man who knew well those who had seen and been with the resurrected Jesus. And as he writes these following words, he's writing that this is, this is true of you. And this is true of me. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you receive from God. The same Spirit of God that dwelled in the nation of Israel in their Holy of Holies. The same Spirit of God that dwelt in Samson, empowering him to do incredible physical things. That same Spirit lives in you. And the reason he says, do you not know, is because they did not know. What? Me? Yes. You. And when you embrace Jesus as your Savior, when you decided to follow Jesus, when you, when you asked him to be the Lord of your life, the same Spirit of God rested on you. And indwells you, just like Samson. God has a plan for your life. And God wants to do something in you. And God wants to do something through you. He wants to influence people all around you. No matter where you feel you are right now, the one thing that we all know for sure is that you're not done yet. And God is not done in you yet. And you dare not just be a person like everybody else. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you never thought of it like that. Maybe you've forgotten that. God has something for you. God's not trying to keep something good from you. That has to be one of the biggest lies that has come against our culture. And we believe it. We believe it deeply. And we have to fight it repeatedly. But you're going to come to a time in your life, long from now, short from now, and you're going to be able to look back on your life and you're going to say, uh-oh, I've wasted so much time. That whole time, I was, I was getting it wrong. I, th I think that he's actually keeping something good for me, not trying to keep something good from me. But now it's too late. I, I can't go back. I can't go back and do it all over. I can't go back. I can't go back and do my 20s again. I can't go back and, and have my first marriage again. I, I can't go back and re-raise my children in their formative years. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Listen to what Paul says as he goes on. You are not your own. You don't belong to you any more than Samson belonged to Samson or Israel belonged to Israel. 
You, you were bought with a price. Okay, so here's the application. This is the challenge. Here's the reason that we're talking about. This is, this is where we're going. It's the difficult part. No lying, telling you the truth. This is the hard part. Therefore, because of that, because the Spirit of God lives in me and I've been bought with a price and I'm not my own, because of that, therefore, honor God with your spirit-indwelled bodies. So the question that comes from that, if that's true, have you ever surrendered your body to God? We talk about your heart. We talk about your mind. Talk about your spirit, your soul. But have you ever surrendered your body? Have you ever said, God, I want you to be the Lord of my mind. I want you to be the Lord of my heart. I want you to be the Lord of my soul. But have you ever even thought of saying, God, I want to make you Lord of all my sexual expressions? Now, I know what what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, no, and I never will. When is the band coming back? But hear me on this, okay? God has called me here. God has called me to you. And I care about you. I'm invested in you. I love you. And if that level of surrender scares you, what does that mean? How will that work out? If you were me, and you'd had the conversations that I've had, or if you've read the emails that I've read, or if you sat in the living rooms that I've sat in, or if you talked in the cars that I've been in, or been in the restaurants, or been in the backyards that I've been in there, and if you looked into the eyes that I had to look into, deep into those eyes to see what the fruit of their ways had been. It wouldn't scare you to surrender your sexual expressions to God. It would scare the stuffing out of you not to. And here's why. Because God loves you. God always wants the best for you. And no good parent ever set up standards to punish their children. They set up standards to set them up for future success. And that's why God says what God says about sexual expressions. You are not your own. You have been called, not chastised, not warned, not threatened. You have been called. You have the opportunity to honor God with your body. Have you ever surrendered your body to your heavenly Father? Because until you do, you will always live from the outside in. It will always be the kingdom of covet. It will always be what you see is what you decide that you need to get. And that just doesn't lead to anything good for very long. And your heavenly father says, if you surrender to me your body, I will do something in you. I will do something in you that sets you up for better relationships later as you continue to learn to live from the inside out. If you are single and you've 
And you just made that, that, that commitment, that one-year commitment to sign off on all dating, all romantic relationships, all physical kind of romantic relationships for just one year. Not forever, just for one year. One year, no physical relationships. Just try it and see what happens. See what happens to your heart. You'll be changed. You'll be different. Love God. Be in earnest, undistracted pursuit of Jesus. And in that time, a new understanding will come. And you'll be able to say, oh, now I understand. I could just never see that before. God wasn't trying to keep something good from me. He was keeping something good and in some cases, someone good for me. Before you go, what do you do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong. More importantly, what are you going to do when your body wants what your heart knows is wrong? From this day forward, what are you going to do? This is your investment in you. No one will benefit from this like you. Here's what I want you to do. Instead of doing what's right in your own eyes, do what you suspect is right in your own surrendered, yielded heart. That will be an enormous step forward in learning how to live from the inside out. Living under the guidance and direction the power and the privilege of the Holy Spirit. The more you practice listening, the more you will hear. The more you practice obeying, the easier it will be. God, help me to see as you see that I might be able to do as you say. Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for the lessons that you have laid out for us. God, thank you for a love that it just doesn't get tired of my dumbness. You don't get tired of my weakness. You don't get tired of my frailty and my failings. Even when I'm tired of them myself. Your love is passionate and consistent. Ongoing. Always looking for our best. Always stretching us in the direction towards you. Your hand is always outstretched in our direction. God, give us eyes to see it and to reach for you as well. To transform the way that we live as you transform our minds into your likeness. Help me to see as you see so that I can do as you say. Speak to me today that you might speak through me today as well. And we will share this partnership with you to bring the good news wherever we go. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. I'm convinced the more we connect, the better it gets. That God will continue to work in us and through us. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not done with us. And if he's gotten us this far, just imagine what's to come. Your God is faithful. You can depend on him. As you go, as I send you, remember that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered. And we are mission-focused. It's never just about you. Because we are to be on mission. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. Take the good news of Jesus with you wherever you go. <sighs> What's coming up?